0: Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situation, or needs. So, that being said, today, Shawnee, we are going to talk about buy now, pay later shares, in particular, Zip and Afterpay, which of course begs the question why are we talking about these two companies?
1: Well, that's pretty simple, Mark. We're talking about them because they've done really well. So in the last three years, both Afterpay and Zip are up over 700%, and that's why everyone is talking about them. Investors reason with their investment in these stocks by saying that they're great innovative companies, and the proof is because they've gone up a lot.
0: And that argument works until it doesn't. So today, we're going to separate the underlying business from the share price by trying our best to ignore that share price. So let's start with a pretty simple description of both these businesses, because while they are frequently lumped together, they are very different. Why don't we start with Afterpay?
1: Well, the basic premise of Afterpay is that they offer customers the ability to pay for purchases in four installments, while still getting the item they want immediately. So it's basically a modern version of lay-by built for a society that wants instant gratification. As a consumer, the beauty of Afterpay is that the merchant where you purchase the goods is the one that pays a fee. And that means that you're not having to pay any more for the ability to spread the cost over four payments.
0: So that seems simple enough, but a business needs a product and also needs a strategy. So let's talk a bit about Afterpay's strategy. Afterpay's strategy centers on building a network of buy now, pay later customers and merchants who will utilize its product. This helps the firm build scale generate sufficient revenue to cover fixed costs, and lower its capital requirements. Customers enjoy instant approvals, a frictionless sign-up and checkout process, and the ability to manage cash flows while avoiding interest charges. In turn, merchants may benefit from increased conversion rates, basket sizes, and transaction frequencies. In other words, they get more customers who spend more. The firm's aggressive expansions led to rapid growth in finance sales and an early mover advantage in the buy-now-pay-later segment. It typically enters a geography by partnering with global fashion and beauty retailers, extending its reach to as many customers as possible, and leveraging these merchant relationships to enable future expansions into new markets. Afterpay then proceeds to partner with higher-margin retailers so customers have greater opportunities to spend using its product. It is also currently growing its in-store footprint, and Afterpay is focused generally on lower-value goods.
1: So let's move on to Zip now. Zip works a little bit differently from Afterpay. Zip's business is more diversified than single-product Buy Now Pay Later players like Afterpay, and they offer a variety of financing options, transaction limits, and repayment schedules. The firm operates a revolving credit business in Australia. Zip Pay finances up to $1,000 and Zip Money $1,000 and above. It also boasts a broader merchant base, including retail, home, electronics, health, auto, and travel. Around 70% of revenue was derived from customers, mainly from account fees and interest. Meanwhile, Zip Business provides unsecured loans of up to $500,000 to small and mid-sized enterprises.
0: So just to be clear here, Shadi, you're saying that Zip is a credit card.
1: <laughs> um, well, Zip would argue that they aren't a credit card and they're not regulated like a credit card provider.
0: Well, we'll talk about regulation later, but I mean, let's be serious here. They are a credit card. If we just listen to what you just said, they offer a variety of financing limits, transaction limits, and repayment schedules. 70% of their revenues derive from customers who pay account fees and interest. Yes,
1: yeah, so I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just saying that ZIP or Afterpay is not subject to the National Credit Act and its code. Um, and what that means that is that pro- providers are not required to meet responsible lending obligations, such as assessing someone's suitability for a loan or having hardship arrangements.
0: Well, certainly all very interesting. And by the way, Zip may run a credit check on you when you apply and not paying back your non credit card balance to Zip may result in damage to your credit rating. But anyway, let's not let details get in the way of a good story. So what is Zip's strategy, Shani?
1: So Zip provides customers with a simple sign up and checkout process, high acceptance by retailers and flexible financing solutions to help better manage cash flows. Merchant partners may benefit from increased conversion rates, basket sizes, and transaction frequencies. Zip adopts a pay-in-for installments financing model overseas, allowing it to scale up faster and keep up with competition amid a relatively underpenetrated global buy-now-pay-later landscape. The acquisition of US-based QuadPay materially boosts its growth prospects and is also due to launch a Zip-branded installment product in the UK, and, and Zip's focus is on higher-value goods unlike Afterpay.
0: So we've been talking about credit cards a lot, and as we said, we'll get into regulation. But why the distinction, whether real or imagined, between buy now, pay later and credit cards? Well, the distinction is important because it turns out that millennials and Gen Z hate credit cards. And I know that you give me a hard time about saying bad things about millennials, but there are certainly reasons for this hatred of credit cards. And the first is that millennials and Gen Z have watched firsthand the impact of credit cards on their parents and it has not been good. And second is that most Australian Millennials and Gen Z are in a lot of debt. Millennials and Gen Z have high debts with average incomes of only $35,450 a year and net worth of just 6500 About 35% have student debt averaging $23,800. And this is almost three times the level of debt that their parents had at the same age.
1: And millennials get a lot of flack for having bad credit card habits, but 63% of millennials currently do not have a credit card and 23% have one card. Only 6% have two cards, whereas 13% of those aged 30 to 49 have two cards. The number increases with age, so 21% of those 65 and up have two cards.
0: Now, Shani, you are a millennial, and I know for a fact yeah. you have a credit card. So you took me out to lunch on saturday which was very nice we went to what was the name of the restaurant again
1: north indian cuisine north indian (laughs) cuisine it's pretty trashy it sounds very nice that i took you out for lunch but it was somewhere i used to go during uni yeah it was Um, on
0: oxford street (laughs) and you told me that's where you used to go after you went out on oxford street when you were in uni but
1: To, to be fair like in my defense we were drinking for a little while and I had wanted to have lunch three hours earlier. So I was just after something very carby. Okay.
0: Well that, and delicious. that is yes, that is true. <laughs> and it was very good. But anyway, so you have a credit card. Unlike most millennials, but have you ever used a buy now, pay later?
1: Yeah, so I mean there was a lot of hype around it and I just wanted to understand the process a little bit more. So I have used it once um just to see how it worked. And I used after pay, but I actually felt really anxious about having money owing. So I just paid the remaining three installments with the first one. So
0: So you basically <laughs> I, just, just paid for
1: it. Yeah.
0: And and you want to share what you bought? Did you buy something exciting?
1: Not really. I bought linen sheets. Linen sheets. Yeah. Nothing very exciting. Okay.
0: All right. Well, anyway, maybe not shiny, but there is definitely a market for this. And that's good for both these companies, right? So we've got a group of consumers that do not want to use credit cards, but essentially want all the good things that credit cards provide. A way to float purchases over some period of time while getting goods instantly. So call this whatever you want. Cash flow management, I find a little bit ridiculous, but that's one description. But there's no doubt that these companies have tapped into an area of the market that is not being served by the traditional payment providers. But this is an investing podcast, Shawnee. So the question we have here is, buy now, pay later companies, in particular, Zip and Afterpay, do they make good investment opportunities? So let's talk a little bit about investing, Shawnee what makes a great investment and do these companies fit the bill?
1: Yeah, so the first thing we look at when assessing an investment opportunity is if the company has a sustainable competitive advantage or a moat. And as a reminder, a moat is something that keeps competitors from taking market share or eroding profit margins. So over the longer term, companies with moats can grow faster while maintaining market share and maintain high profit margins, which are both things that we really like as investors. And and in this case, we don't believe that either of these companies have a moat. Um, Before getting Getting into the specifics of each company, let's talk about the industry as a whole. So we think there are very low barriers to entry in the buy now pay later space and that payment financing is a commodity like product. In other words, we don't think that consumers or merchants have any reason to exclusively stick with or favour a particular buy now pay later provider, which is really the definition of not having a competitive advantage. And this allows both merchants and consumers to shop around and look for the best deal, which is good for both those groups and bad for the payment financing companies. So why don't we take a look at each of the specifics for each company? Mark, why don't you start with Afterpay?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Afterpay has built a really strong business in Australia. company had first mover advantage, and we do think it started to build a network effect. A network effect is one of five sources of moats, and a network effect occurs when the value of a particular good or service increases as more people use the good or service. So social media sites are generally the best examples. So a low number of members provides less of a benefit to a user than a high number of members. We think Afterpay has come close to achieving this locally here in Australia, given the number of merchants and consumers that have signed up for Afterpay, and that is a good thing for the company. The problem is that ultimately we think the Australian market is immaterial to the company as they've invested heavily in growth overseas. We forecast overseas markets, so this includes the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Europe, to make up 83% of underlying sales and 93% of active consumers by fiscal 2025, and that compares to 41% and 61% in fiscal 2020. So we think that these overseas opportunities lack a moat. So our forecasts assume a lower penetration rate and transaction frequency overseas relative to Afterpay's stronghold in Australia. The advantage is that Afterpay has in Australia simply don't exist overseas, where the company trails Klarna in Europe, that's another buy-now-pay-later provider, and PayPal, which is a four-payment product, similar to Afterpay. So Shani, why don't we talk specifically about how this competition and low barriers actually entry play out for a company like Afterpay?
1: So, yeah, let's start from a customer perspective. Afterpay has been growing extremely quickly in both growth of customers and underlying sales. And both of these numbers are tied to each other since, as we explained at the beginning, Afterpay is focused on relatively small transactions. So, in fiscal 2020, Afterpay saw growth in excess of 100% in both these metrics and Um, But the underlying problem is that a customer is free to hold multiple buy now pay later accounts, and we think this is going to begin to take a toll on growth. Uh, So by 2026, our analysts predict that active customer growth will drop to below 10% and sales will drop below 20% as existing and new entrants into the space continue to pop up. So to try and make sure that customers remain loyal, Buy Now Pay Later providers, including Afterpay and Zip, are introducing loyalty programs. And loyalty programs have been really successful with credit cards, um, but they cost money. And this is an example of how competition is eroding margins. We will talk about some of this uh, competition in a minute, but we also need to look at merchants because they're the ones that actually pay after pay. The story doesn't look too good from this angle either. Merchants are also generally not constrained to how many buy now pay later providers they can partner with or accept payments from. In this case, the effect will not uh, be slower growth, but instead lower fees. So buy now, pay later merchant fees typically range between two and seven percent, and that made a certain amount of sense in the beginning. So a company like Afterpay could go into a merchant and make a pretty credible pitch. There's a large group of consumers that don't use credit cards but still want that benefit that credit cards provide, um, namely that you want to buy something that you can't actually afford. So if you accept our product, you'll uh, unlock this new market, and you should pay us for that privilege. Initially, this was a no-brainer for stores who forked up up to 7% of the cost of sales to afterpay to reach this market. And, and as I mentioned, buy-now-pay-later fees typically range from 2 to 7%, which is much higher than what a credit card charges, which is approximately 1% to 1.5%. So, as there is increased competition, we believe these fees are going to go down, and this is a perfect example of how not having a moat is going to erode profit margins for all buy-now-pay-later providers.
0: And then, Shani, there's one more thing to add, which we will cover more in a bit, and that is around the ability to pass along fees. As any consumer is aware, a merchant can pass along a credit card fee in Australia. And we see this as consumers all the time when a merchant will simply charge you more. For using a credit card. And the law that allows a merchant to do that is a National Credit Act, which we said earlier does not apply to afterpay. This is an advantage because it means that as a user of afterpay, you can say that splitting your payments into four installments costs you nothing. It would be a little bit different if all of a sudden your inability to wait a month for your purchase costs you 7% more. But let's wait to talk about the regulatory prospects for the industry. But one thing to think about is that the merchants would much rather pay a Fee to a credit card because they can pass that fee along to consumers. So that's an advantage of credit cards over Afterpay. This is just another incentive for merchants to play buy-now-pay-later companies off of each other to ultimately lower fees.
1: So let's move on to Zip. We said before that Zip is a very different company than Afterpay. The two core Zip products in Australia are Zip Pay and Zip Money, which are both revolving lines of credit. We also talked about how Zip has varying lines of credit limits and repayment schedules.
0: What that means is that Zip will assess your credit and give you a different credit limit and repayment schedule depending upon your credit worthiness. But remember, and I hope my sarcasm is pretty obvious here, Zip is apparently not a credit card because their customers do not believe in credit cards.
1: Because of these varying credit limits and repayment schedules, Zip has a receivables book that turns around much slower than Afterpay, where everyone is on the same 30-day four-payment schedule. A receivables book simply refers to the time it takes to get the money back from customers that Zip has fronted to purchase the good. In Afterpay's case, the receivables book turns in less than 30 days because once Afterpay pays the merchant for whatever is purchased, the customer makes four payments over that 30-day period. In Zip's case, their average payback period is more than 200 days. And that means that Zip needs more capital than their competitors to grow their business because they need to float this money for 200 days for every new customer they sign up. And this makes it even more expensive and difficult to grow, which limits the scale of the company.
0: And one, and one side note there, Shani. So their receivables um, book turned over in one day with you. For Afterpay because <laughs> yeah. you just immediately paid it
1: back. Yeah, it wasn't even a day.
0: Okay, so you're yeah. like just a model customer. Yeah. All right. Well, the other issue that Zip runs into when thinking about continued high growth is back to my previous sarcasm. So to put it kindly, Zip has less di- differentiation from credit cards than an installment-based product like Afterpay. To put it bluntly, Zip is targeting a group of people who hate credit cards, and eventually they're going to figure out that Zip is a credit card. Like a credit card, Zip has several layers of fees and interest charges, all the things that millennials and Gen Z don't want, and fees can add up over time. For example, ZipPay charges a $6 monthly account-keeping fee if you have a balance on your account. It also charges a $5 fee if you don't meet your minimum monthly repayments. Now, remember that ZipPay is for loans of up to $1,000. So if you have a ZipPay account and continually carry over a balance for a whole year, you will pay at minimum an account-keeping fee of $72, which is 7.2% on a $1,000 balance. If you don't meet the minimum payment each month of $40, dollars you have to pay that extra $5 fee. There are also a bunch of other fees in this product, and it's not really worth going into all of them today. The point is simply that Zip is complex. It has a bunch of fees. It allows you to carry balances over and then charges you for them. And all these factors will slow growth since it closely resembles a credit card. We said earlier that Zip gets 60 to 70% of its revenue from customer fees and interest. Interestingly enough, Zip gets an average revenue yield on each customer of 16.9%, meaning that if a customer spends $1,000 with Zip, they will get $169 in revenue. In a completely unrelated note, the average credit card interest rate is 16.4%. But once again, I want to stress that even though Zip charges each customer more than a credit card company, they are not a credit card. In fact, according to their website, and I quote, Zip are the good guys who see the opportunity to do things differently and better than banks and what that better thing is, is charging their customers more.
1: Was that a direct quote at the end?
0: Uh, no, I, the quote ended. <laughs> the quote ended after the better than banks. I added my own commentary. Okay.
1: Um, so let's just say I don't think Zip is going to be our first sponsor on Investing Compass. Based on Zip's model, they're subject to more credit risks than a company like Afterpay. Their strategy is to focus on high value goods through Zip money. And this is their over $1,000 product, which you can sign up for with a one time account establishment fee of $100.
0: Yeah, so you've joined the (laughs) BNB, I
1: have. I'm stooping to your level, Mark. Um, Zip has higher credit losses than Afterpay, so that is another source of risk to the company. So this business model means that Zip looks more like a bank. They have to go out and source funds to cover this 200-day receivable turnover, and they have to worry about credit risk, which means they need to keep reserves. We all know that with banks, particularly here in Australia, that size matters. It matters because it means that they can source cheaper capital, and it matters because they have diversified books of business to absorb credit losses. Just another reason that Zip doesn't have a moat.
0: So in summary, we have two companies that we believe do not have moats. They're faced with low barriers of entry and a growing list of competitors. And we saw this just this week with CBA. And CBA launched a buy now pay later product that allows customers to pay back charges in four installments without fees. And guess what they charge merchants to accept this payment? The same fee as a credit card, which, as we said earlier, is lower than what Afterpay charges. Regardless of the success of this effort, it demonstrates how new competitors are constantly entering the market and how these competitors can impact the fees that buy PayLater pay later companies are charging. And incidentally, our banking analyst was quite surprised that CBA decided to launch this product since they are a big investor in Klarna, and that's the leading buy PayLater pay later provider in Europe.
1: So, before we finish our description of moats, we need to focus on one more possible change in the competitive environment and that um, what the companies face, and that's regulation. As we said before, buy now, pay later providers are not subject to the National Credit Act, and um, we don't want to get into all the arguments for or against the regulation, but there is increasing scrutiny of buy now, pay later companies and their impact on consumers, as 55% of consumers reported they're spending more than they did before they used buy now, pay later arrangements. And this is also a pretty vulnerable consumer base, as according to ASIC, more than 40% of users had incomes of less than 40000 and many were students or working part-time.
0: The impact of regulation is likely to alter the existing arrangement between customers, merchants, and the buy-now-pay-later providers, and may reduce the appeal of the offering. Potential future regulatory interventions include, but of course are not limited to, allowing merchants to pass on merchant fees to customers, requiring all buy-now-pay-later players to conduct more thorough background checks, and potentially being regulated as credit, which restricts consumers from having multiple buy-now-pay-later accounts or limiting the amount of fees that can be charged.
1: So in summation, we don't believe that Afterpay or Zip have a sustainable competitive advantage. While both companies continue to grow quickly and will continue to grow quickly in the future, we see that growth slowing as more competitors enter the market and we see margin eroding because of increased competition and more consumer choice. It's now time to turn our attention to the other part of what makes a great investment and that's paying a reasonable price.
0: Yeah, that's right, Johnny. So while we don't believe these companies have moats, they're still growing quickly and there's, a, and there's clearly a pretty significant part of the population that makes up a natural market for these products. As investors, we need to be aware of what we are paying for this growth. So let's turn our attention to valuation. At this point, neither Afterpay or Zip is profitable. However, analysts expect Afterpay to turn a profit in 2021 and Zip to turn a profit in 2022. Because neither is profitable, we don't have a current price-to-earnings ratio that we can calculate, but we can look at forward earnings and come up with an estimate based on that. So for Afterpay, we can do that in 2021, since that is when we expect the company to earn a profit. Based on our estimate of a 14 cent per share profit and a share price a little over $109. When we're recording this, we get a 2021 forward P of 782. In 2022, we see this P dropping to 170 as we expect the company to earn 64 cents per share. For Zip, we see a profit of just under one cent in 2022, which gives us a 2022 forward P of 1172 based on an $8.21 share price. So, Shani, let's just say that both of those are really, really high. Yeah, They
1: are really high, and relative valuation techniques require comparison to provide context, but in this case, there's no point. There is really nothing to compare them to. In order to justify these share prices, investors are making some pretty aggressive assumptions. To even reach a multiple that is twice that of the overall market in Australia in the next 10 years, we're talking earnings growth of well over 2,000% for both companies. So what exactly is the market pricing into what we will generously call optimistic scenarios? Well, for Afterpay, the market is assuming that the current net transaction margin, or how much the company makes on each customer purchase, stays at 2.3% over the next decade. The other assumption is that Afterpay has around $330 billion in finance sales by 2030. To add some perspective to that, that compares to $11.1 billion in finance sales in 2020. And this assumption means that Afterpay's customer base will grow to 80% of American ex- Expresses by 2030, and each customer will spend more than what the average PayPal customer is spending today.
0: And Zip investors are also pricing in some really optimistic future prospects. When compared to Afterpay, the market is assuming that Zip has the same net transaction margin as Afterpay, customers spend 50% more on average than each Afterpay customer, and their customer base is close to the combined population of Australia and New Zealand. So needless to say, our analyst does not think either of these things will happen. We have a current valuation on Afterpay of $40 a share which is 174% below the current share price of $109. And for Zip, we value the company at $5.30 a share, which is 55% of the current share price of $8.30. I think that the headline on our latest Afterpay Analyst note sums up our feelings on both these companies by saying, when voting machines are louder than weighing machines, Afterpay impresses, but shares overcooked.
1: So we hope you enjoyed our episode on buy now, pay later, after pay and zip. I hope is that by walking through two companies in detail, it gave you an understanding of how to evaluate the drivers behind the profitability of companies, how the competitive environment impacts both the amount of company can charge for their products, how much of that revenue flows to the bottom line and how the share price reflects the future prospects and assumptions that investors are making.
0: Please send through any feedback to the email address in the episode notes. And we'd love for you to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or recommend the podcast to friends. If anyone has a culinary review of (laughs) any of the restaurants on Oxford Street, send those through. Shawnee's always looking for new places to go after she's had a couple cocktails. Any advice is general advice prepared by Morningstar without reference to your financial objectives, situation or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest.